Section 8 of Diary of a U-Boat Commander This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Diary of a U-Boat Commander by Stephen King Hall Section 8 I am ordered to report myself at Kiel by next Monday. I am terribly tempted to ring up Zoe on the telephone before I leave. It seems dreadful to leave her without a word, but at the same time I feel that she would interpret this as a sign of weakness on my part, as indeed it would be. I must be firm, for strength of mind pays with women, even more than with men. At Kiel I left Bruges without a word either to or from my obstinate darling. It is torture being away from her. I had thought that when I was here and not exposed to the temptation of going round and seeing her, that it would be easier. It is not. I long to write, and how I wonder whether she is feeling it as I do. I have read somewhere that a woman's passion once aroused is more ungovernable than a man's. That her whole being cries aloud for me cannot be doubted. And if the above statement is true, what inflexibility of will she must be showing! It almost makes me fear. But no, I will defeat her in this strange contest, and she shall be my wife. The work here is strenuous, and the grass does not grow under one's feet. The course for commanding officers lasts four weeks, and terminates in an exceedingly practical but rather fearsome test, i.e., they have six steamers here camouflaged after the English fashion with dazzle painting, and these six steamers, protected by launches and harbour defence craft, steam across Keel Bay in the manner of a convoy. The officer being examined has to attack this group of ships in one of the instructional submarines and in three attacks he must score at least two hits, or else, in theory, he is returned to general service in the fleet. Fortunately, at the moment, I hear that owing to recent losses they are distinctly on the short side where submarine officers are concerned, so they'll probably make it easy when I do my test. New Entry I see I have written nothing here for a fortnight. This is due to two causes. Firstly, I have been so extraordinarily busy, and secondly, I have been most depressed through a letter I received from Fritz. It contained two items of bad news. In the first place, I heard for the first time of the tragedy of Heinrich Balmer's boat, and to my astonishment Fritz tells me that Rosa and another girl were in her when she was lost. It appears that she was to go out for a couple of hours diving off the port as a matter of routine after her two months overhaul. She went out at 10 a.m. and was sighted from the signal station at the end of the mole at 11.30, when almost immediately afterwards there was an explosion and she disappeared. Motorboats were quickly on the scene, but only debris came to the surface. Divers were sent down and reported that she was in 10 meters of water completely shattered. It is assumed, for lack of other explanation, that she struck a chance drifting mine which was moving down the coast on the tide. 
Meanwhile Rosa and another sister were missing from the hospital, and after forty-eight hours someone put two and two together and started investigations. It has been ascertained that Balmer motored down from Bruges after breakfast, and that in the car were two figures taken to be sailors, as they were muffled up in oilskins. This fact was noted by the control sentries as, though the day was showery, it was not raining hard. Other scraps of evidence unite in showing that these were the two girls who had apparently induced Balmer to take them out for a dive as a treat. What a tragedy! However, it must have been quite instantaneous. Poor Rosa, with all her vanities about war work, to think that the war would claim her like that. Footnote. It is known that a boat with women on board was lost whilst exercising off Seebrugge in the spring of 1917. This would appear to be the boat in question. Etienne. End of footnote. Fritz added that old Max is almost off his head with rage over the whole business, and it is difficult to say whether he is more angry over Balmer and the boat being lost, or over the fact that Balmer being dead he is unable to administer those disciplinary actions in which he delights. New Entry Great excitement here, as the day after tomorrow His Imperial Majesty the Kaiser and Hindenburg are due to pay Kiel a surprise visit. We are to be inspected and addressed. Tremendous preparations are going on. New Entry His Majesty, accompanied by the great Field Marshal, inspected us this morning, and made a fine speech, of which we have been given printed copies. I shall frame mine and hang it in my boat, if I get a command. I transcribe it. Officers and men of the U-boat service, in the midst of the anxious moments in which we live, I have determined to make time to come and witness in my own person the labours of those on whom I and the Fatherland rely. Fresh from the great battles on the West, which are gnawing at the vitals of our hereditary enemies, I come to those whose glorious mission it will be to strike relentlessly at our most deadly and cunning enemy, cursed Britain. God is on our side, and will protect you at sea, for, in the striking at the nation which openly boasts that it aims at starving our women and children, you are engaged on a mission of undoubted holiness. You must sink and destroy, even as of old the Israelites smote and destroyed the alien races. To the officers, I would particularly say, my person is your honour, and I am your supreme chief. From my hands you will receive honour and from my hands will proceed just punishment for the unhappy ones who fail in their duty. To the men I would say, trust and obey your officers as you would your God. Officers and men, in you your Kaiser and Fatherland place their trust. Let neither be disappointed. After his address, His Majesty graciously spoke a few words to individuals, of whom I had the signal honour of being one. I felt that I was in the presence of an emperor. His gestures, his eyes, his voice, impressed me as belonging to a man born to command, and to fill high places. The field marshal never opened his mouth. I understand from his ADC that he rarely speaks in public. New Entry The Colonel is killed. 
When I think about it, I am so excited I can hardly write. I heard the great news last night, quite by accident. I was sitting in the mess after dinner and picked up Divoka, and, glancing at the pictures, I suddenly saw the portrait of Colonel Stein of the Brandenburgers, killed on the seventh instant near Ypres. I recognized the ugly and bloated face immediately from the photograph of him which she had once shown me. My first impulse was to send her a wire, but, on thinking matters over, I decided that it would be difficult to put all my thoughts into the curt sentences of a telegram, and further that as all wires are doubtless examined at the main post office at Bruges, it might lead to trouble. So I wrote her a letter. This, in a way, has been an exhibition of weakness on my part, as I had promised myself that I would not take the first step in reopening communication. But I feel that the fortunate death of Stein has completely altered the case. I told her in the letter that I realized that I had made mistakes, but that if she still loved me with half the strength that I loved her, then a telegram to me would make me the happiest of men. I wrote that yesterday, but have had no wire. Perhaps, like me, she distrusts telegrams and prefers letters. New Entry A long letter from Zoe, an accursed fetter, an abominable letter a damnable letter. She still refuses to marry me. I leave for Bruges to-night on forty-eight hours' special leave. New Entry Kiel, 17th I hate Zoe. She has broken my heart. After her preposterous letter of the fourteenth, I decided that in a matter which so closely affected my happiness no stone ought to remain unturned to ensure a satisfactory solution of the problem, so I determined to have a personal interview. I arrived at Bruges after tea and went at once to the flat. I tackled her immediately on the subject of her letter, and told her that naturally I understood that a decent interval must elapse before we married. But, granted this fact, I told her that I failed to see what prevented our marriage. A most unpleasant and harrowing scene ensued the details of which form such painful recollections that I really cannot write them down here. Though in the passage of months I have acquired the habit of writing in the pages of this journal with the same freedom as I would talk to that wife whom I had hoped to possess. She maintained an obstinate silence when I urged her to give me at least some tangible reason as to why she would not marry me. She contented herself, and maddened me, by reflecting in a kind of monotone, I love you, Carl, and am yours, but I cannot marry you. I could have beaten her till she was senseless, but I had enough sense to realize that with Zoe, whose resolution, considering she is a woman, amazes me, force is not the best method. As I continued to press her, time was important, had I not journeyed far to see her. Those glorious eyes of hers, which I love and whose power I dread, filled with tears. I was a brute, I was heartless, I was inconsiderate, I could not love her, I was cruel, and I know not what other accusation crushed me down. Broken-hearted and dispirited, I told her to choose there and then. She collapsed on to a sofa in a storm of tears, and after a severe mental struggle I took the only possible course, and leaving the room, 
left her forever. I have resumed my service life determined to cast her out from my mind. I will not deceive myself. It will be hard. Love and logic are deadly enemies, but logic must and shall prevail. Though I have seen her for the last time, I cannot escape the net of fascination which the girl has thrown over me. Perhaps in the course of time I shall slowly emerge and free myself from its entanglements. At present I hate her for this blow she has dealt me, and yet— Oh, Zoe, my darling, how I long to be with you! New Entry Today I went through my final test for qualification as U-boat commander. At 9 a.m. I proceeded to sea in command of the U-11, one of the instructional boats here. We proceeded out into Kiel Bay. On board and watching my every movement was a committee consisting of a commander and two lieutenant commanders. On arrival at the entrance lightship, I was ordered to attack a convoy of camouflage ships which were just visible about fifteen kilometers away off the spit bank. I had a very shrewd idea as to the course they would steer, and on coming up from my final observation I found myself in an excellent position one thousand meters on the bow of the leading ship. The rest was easy. I gave the leader the two bow torpedoes, and, turning sixteen points, fired my stern tube at the third ship of the line. Two hits were obtained, and I returned to harbor well pleased with myself. There is not the slightest chance of having failed to qualify. New Entry my confidence in myself was not misplaced. I heard today that I am on the command list, and anticipate in a few days being appointed to a boat. I wonder which craft I shall get. New Entry I met the ADC to the chief of the staff of the school, at the gardens, and in conversation with him discovered that he had heard that three boats were being detached from the Flanders flotilla for an unknown destination. This has given me an idea, for I feel that I can never return to Bruges, and I was rather dreading being appointed to one of the boats there. I have dropped a line to Fritz Regels, who is on old Max's staff, and told him that I do not wish to return to Bruges, and I further hinted that I understood a detached squadron was proceeding somewhere, and as far as I was concerned, the further the better, if I could get into it. I have tried the night life at this place, at the Mascot and Trocadero, in order to forget, but it is a poor consolation. Footnote. Two well-known cabarets at Kiel. End of footnote. New Entry A letter from Fritz, saying that he has an idea that Corting's boat would suit me, though he could not, of course, give me further details in a letter. However, he informs me positively that I shall not be at Bruges. On the strength of this I have wired to Fritz, and asked him to try and fix up an exchange between me and Corting, provided the latter is agreeable, and the people in Max's office have no objection. I have a recollection that Corting's boat is one of the U-40 to U-60 class, which would suit me admirably. And as for destination, I care not where it is, provided only that it be far from Bruges. New Entry At Sea I have quite neglected my poor old journal for several weeks, but I have passed through an extraordinarily busy period. 
It was approved that I should relieve Korting, whose boat, the U-59, I discovered to be refitting at Wilhelmshaven. I was very pleased not to go back to Bruges, though as we steam steadily north at this moment I cannot escape a sense of deep disappointment that upon my return from this trip I shall not enjoy as of old the fascination of Zoe. But I shall have plenty of time to get accustomed to this idea, for this is no ordinary trip. We are bound for the North Cape and Merman Coast, where we remain until well into the cold weather, at any rate for three months. Our mission is to work off that fog-bound and desolate coast, and attack the constant stream of traffic between England and Archangel. There are two other boats besides ourselves on the job, but we shall all be working far apart. Our first billet is off the North Cape. In order to save time, we are to be provisioned once a month in one of the fjords. I don't imagine the Admiralty will have any difficulty in getting supplies up to us, as at the moment we are off the Lofautens, and we actually have not had to dive since we left the Bight. There seems to be nothing on the sea except ourselves. Where is the much-vaunted and impenetrable web of blockade which the English are supposed to have spread around us? and yet many raw materials are getting very short with us. I see that in this boat they have replaced several copper pipes with steel ones during her refit, and this will lead to trouble unless we are careful. Steel pipes corrode so badly that I never feel ready to trust them for pressure work. The truth about the blockade is that it is largely a paper blockade, yet not ineffective for all that. Unfortunately for us, the damned English and their hangers-on control the cables of the world, and hence all the markets, and I don't suppose, to take the case of copper, that a single pound of it is mined from the Rio Tinto without the British Board of Trade knowing all about it. The neutral firms simply dare not risk getting put on to the British blacklist. It means ruination for them. And then all these dollar-grabbing Yankees enjoying all the advantages of war without any of its dangers. They make me sick. This seems a most profitable job. I have only been up seven days, but I have bagged four steamers, all by gunfire, and all fat ships, brimful of stuff for the Russians. My practice has been to make the North Cape every day or two to fix position, as the currents are the most abnormal in these parts and I should say that the Sailing Directions Pilotage Handbook and Tidal Charts were compiled by a gentleman at a desk who has never visited these latitudes. At the moment I am standing well out to sea, as the immediate vicinity of the North Cape has become rather unhealthy. Yesterday afternoon I had sunk number four in the morning, and the crew were still pulling for the coast. Four British trawlers turned up. These damned little craft seem to turn up wherever one goes. I long to have a bang at them with my gun, but, apart from the uncertainty as to what they carried in the way of armament, I have strict orders to avoid all that sort of thing. So I dived and steamed slowly west, came up at dusk, and proceeded to charge up my batteries. These U-60s are excellent boats, and I am very lucky to get one so soon. I suppose courting man wants to stay near his wife. I cannot write that word without painful memories of Zoe 
and idle thoughts of what might have been. Well, perhaps it is for the best. I'm not sure that a member of the U-boat service has the right to get married in wartime, for unless he is of exceptional mentality it must affect his outlook under certain circumstances, though I think I should have been an exception here. Then the anxiety to the woman must be enormous, as every trip comes round a voice must cry within her, this may be the last. The contrast between the times in harbour and the trips is so violent, so shattering and clear-cut. With a soldier's wife she merely knows that he is at the front. With us, at 8 p.m., one may be kissing one's wife in Bruges, and at 6 a.m. creeping with nerves on edge through the unknown dangers of the Dover Barrage. But I have strayed from what I meant to write about, my first command and her crew. The quarters in this class are immensely superior to the U.C. boats. Here I have a little cabin to myself, with a knee-hole table in it. My first lieutenant, the navigator, and the engineer have bunks and a room together, and then we have a small officer's mess. On this job up here, as we are not to return to Germany for supplies, and consequently I should say we may have to live on what we can get out of steamers, I don't propose to use my torpedoes unless I meet a warship, or an exceptionally large steamer. The gun's the thing, as Arnaud de la Perriere has proved in the Mediterranean, but half the fellows won't follow his example, simply because they don't realize that it's no use employing the gun unless it is used accurately, and good shooting only comes after long drill. I have impressed this fact on my gun crew and particularly the two gun-layers, and I make Voigtman, my young first lieutenant, take the crew through their loading drill twice a day, together with practice of rapid manning of the gun after a surface, or rapid abandonment of the gun should the diving alarms sound in the middle of practice. I have also impressed on Voigtman that I consider that he is the gun control officer, and that I expect him to make the efficient working of the gun his main consideration. As regards the crew, they are the usual mixed crowd that one gets nowadays. Half of them are old sailors, the others recruits and new arrivals from the fleet. My main business at the moment is to get the youngsters into shape, and for this purpose I have been doing a number of crash dives. It also gives me an opportunity of getting used to the boat's peculiarities under water. She seems to have a tendency to become tail-heavy, but this may be due to bad trimming. Voigtman has been in UB-43 for nine months, and seems a capable officer. Socially, I don't think he can boast of much dissent, but he has no airs, and treats me with pleasing respect, apart from service considerations. End of section